Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. Of, of course, of your host, Ted Odorico, and I'm glad that you could join us here live every Thursday uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And as our... Uh, Introduction stated, uh, we're going to be starting things off here in just a moment with another uh, great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel, and I've got two uh, of uh, among my favorite professionals here. Uh, the two Johns are back, and I'll introduce both of them in a moment. And then one of the Johns, uh, John Decker, is going to be joining me on the second half of the show as my special guest. Uh, he's the uh, Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club, and he's going to talk about his new website, his uh, audio book, and a few other things as well uh, we've got cooking on the show. So I hope you'll stick around and join us for that uh, discussion as well. But let me uh, introduce the guys and bring them out, and then we'll get into tonight's Coach's Corner panel discussion. Uh, first up is John Hughes. He's a PJ Master Professional, uh, the Honorary President of the North Florida PJ Section, and he was the recipient of the 2013 PJ of America Horton Smith Award. Uh, he's also a senior editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, plus he's part of the Golf Tips advisory staff. Uh, also, as I mentioned, John Decker, he is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also a Senior Editor and Top 25 Instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. And in 2015, he was named Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, he's also authored a book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes a Bible study. And he's also a public speaker. So uh, two great guys, both Johns, and uh, I'm looking forward to tonight's discussion. So guys, welcome to Coach's Corner Panel. Hello, Thank you, Ted. All right, so I've had you guys on together before, so I think uh, I think how we'll do this is uh, John D and John H. Uh, I think is the easiest way to uh, uh, to avoid any confusion for either you guys or also for the audience to to know who's actually responding to the uh, to the questions and that. So, uh, John H, I'm going to uh, start with you if you don't mind and. Um, the first question, we're, what we're going to cover tonight is really some key concepts to help those break par, uh, those that really want to shoot some low numbers. Obviously, this can apply to everybody, but particularly those that are really t- trying to go low, uh, there's some key uh, points that uh, have been put together here. So, John H., I'm going to start with you. And the first one is really strategizing off the tee. So, you want to hit a shot you feel 100% confident uh, off the tee, whichever, whether it's the first hole or uh, one of the other 18. Um, and you don't want to just sort of pick up, uh, you know, whether it's you, you pick up a, a driver or whatever it is that you sort of bash around the trees every shot. Uh, you want to make sure you set yourself up uh, for a good approach shot to the green. So walk us through that. If you had a student in front of you 
and you are going to put a game plan for uh, success to help them put together a good off the tee strategy, what would uh, what would that include? Well, first off, thanks, Ted, for the opportunity. As always, John, great to be with you again on Coach's Corner. Always a fun conversation. Uh, I do this on a regular basis with my clients. Uh, I just completed an encore session today with a regular client who came down from Ohio for the day. And we were talking about strategizing the second shot from the tee. He's a strong enough player where bashing the driver, as you said, may not work. It, it may put him at a disadvantage from a approach shot standpoint of view. I think, and I've addressed some of this in Golf Tips magazine within the milestones uh, articles that I do for the magazine, Based on where you are, I think what you've got to do, say, if you're trying to break the hunters, is get a, get something in your hand that you can put in play. It may not always be the driver. It may be three wood. It may be five wood. It may be a hybrid. It may be an iron. But at the same time, are you playing a tee box that allows you to keep it in play versus bashing it down the fairway? Uh, I think you're always trying to set up your next shot, regardless of what milestone you're trying to break. When you're talking about 90 and even 80, yes, you're you're searching for more distance, but we still got to keep it in the fairway. But at the same time, can you learn to shape your shots? Can you learn to put the ball where you want it to be placed? But when you're talking about breaking 70, it's not only about putting it in play. It's literally about understanding which holes to attack, which holes not to attack, uh, which mm-hmm. holes to to take the, the iron off the tee and maybe lay back a little bit less comfortable a distance instead of 150 or we lay it back 180 because the green sets you up for the 180 shot versus the 150, believe it or not. Most people think mm-hmm. the closer you are, the better. and That's not necessarily true. I always go by this that a great decision followed by a great setup will always camouflage a poor performance. And that goes for any shot. But in particular with tee shots, it's not always driver. Yes, it's it's bomb and gouge right now. And, and I'm not going to sit and try to debate the relevance and the importance of further length. But what good is it if you can't play it, if you can't find it, if it's in someone else's zip code? And it's okay to gradually build that distance. It's a matter of placing the club that, that you can control and get maximum distance out of, which provides you the best opportunity to break that scoring milestone. Yeah, and that's a great way uh, to sort of unpack that first question. And, and, you know, it really comes down to course management. It really comes into play here because, uh, as you pointed out, it's not about, um, you know, how necessarily how far you hit it, um, and it, it it becomes where is your next shot? Where do you want it to play from? If you're on a maybe a shorter par four where you can quite easily in most cases, if you're a better player, you can get two and two. One of the things that you want to be able to do is once you decide, okay, where do I need to be? It may not be something as simple as hitting it down the middle of the fairway. You may need to be on the left or the right side of the fairway in order to give you a better uh, strike, if you will, or a better opportunity uh, on your second shot or your next shot. So, you know, strategy really comes into play here. And a lot of times we hear, you know, uh, uh, guys on the lesson tee, people say, well, I just want to hit it out down the middle of the fairway. I don't really care, 
you know, I want to get a little more distance and I just want to be. And that's good for the most part. But I think once you become a more accomplished player, it becomes really about strategy and where do I want to position in the fairway? Um, again, left or right or or maybe laying back a little bit more, uh, as you suggest, John, depending on, on uh, what, what's waiting for us on the green. So a great way to unpack that, and I think you hit all the points uh, very well. Um, J.D., uh, this one is going to be for you. Um, number two here is dealing with bad shots and disappointment. We know we can uh, do better, so we get frustrated with ourselves um, so that we can't let it go. Uh, we, you know, that spoils a few holes in a row, and then uh, the round sort of... Uh, I guess essentially goes out the window. Um, give us an idea of how we deal with bad shots because we know they're going to happen. Even the best players in the world have some bad shots. We saw a few of them in the Masters uh, that just took place last weekend. Um, give us a perspective here of what's the best way for you uh, to articulate to your students what they need to do when they're faced with some bad shots and disappointment. What can they do to, to sort of uh, continue on and, and get back on track? Well, Ted, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And, John, as always, I thoroughly enjoy uh, being on with you. I always learn something, uh, and uh, you help me as well just uh, listening to you. So I really enjoy being on the show with you. Uh, this is a great question. I think this is getting more into, you know, the attitude that you bring to the golf course. You know, I've worked with really great players who have bad attitudes, and I've worked with really uh, poor players who have great attitudes. And so, um, you know, I think that the – the guys that, that are ultimately successful are the ones who can shake off adversity um, and understand that golf, if you, if you expect to go out and just play a perfectly clean round and not have any adversity and not have any bad shots and not have any uh, situations where, you know, you, uh, it doesn't go as planned, you're fooling yourself. That golf is not like that. Golf is like life, and uh, you literally have to take it one shot at a time. Um, and so it's very important um, that you have the right attitude. And so, and I, t I tell my students all the time, especially my juniors, I said, you know, uh, I had a junior the other day that was uh, not doing too well during the lesson and was getting frustrated. And, um, and I had to have a little talk with him. And, and, I and I finally told him, I said, it doesn't take talent to have a good attitude. So I think that's very important. Um, the first thing that, that I have my students do when, when they hit a bad shot is, is basically look at this as an opportunity to work on. Like, so, for example, if you hit the ball uh, and you miss the green, um, you know, and let's say that you go in the bunker, instead of having a negative, turn it into a positive. Say, now I get to go hit, you know, I get to work on my bunker game, or now I get to go hit a my flop shot. I love hitting that shot, or, or the long bunker shot, whatever it is that you like to hit. I think that having that attitude uh, is very important. And so when you're practicing, um, I think that you will ultimately uh, play as you practice. I always encourage my students when they're practicing to give themselves all kind of difficult shots around the green, so, you know, uphill, downhill lies, ball below the feet, ball uh, above the feet, uh, all these different shots around the green because ultimately – the key to saving, uh, you know, the, the bad shots are going to be your short game, whether it's your pitching, your chipping, and your putting, obviously. So doing those types of drills. Uh, another thing that will help you if you struggle in this area is to, to go out and play some games by yourself on the course, if you, as long as it's not too crowded, where it's like that you play two balls and then you hit your two shots, and whichever shot is 
the better shot, you don't play that one. You go play the one that's the, that's the worst shot. And, and then from there, you hit two balls, and you don't play the better one. You again play the worst one. This teaches you how to deal with adversity because very few people can hit two balls down the middle, hit two balls on the green, have two balls that roll right up to the cup and tap it in. Typically, you're going to hit maybe one good one and then one bad one. When you play that bad one, it teaches you how to deal with it because, uh, you're, you know, you're not in the fairway, and, and you have to be creative. So these are ways for the listeners out there to practice dealing with this before they ever get to the golf course. And this is really important if you're wanting to play tournament golf. So I think dealing with adversity is, is part of the game. Accept that and, um, you know, plan for it and practice for it. And then when it happens in a tournament, you won't be shocked. But, oh, my goodness, you know, my perfect plan that I had for this tournament is falling apart. And so those are ways that I think the average person can, can uh, learn to deal with adversity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, even uh, another thing, just to add very quickly, and then um, I'll move on, you know, even on the driving range, even if you're practicing, um, not necessarily before you play, but um, maybe in a practice session, a lot of times what I try to get students to do is, you know, because obviously in in, in the practice area, you know, you have typically a much better uh, setup or lie uh, than sometimes what you might be faced with a golf course. So, Sometimes I will move up and down the range uh, to give myself, uh, sometimes they'll put it near the end where there might be a bit of a slope, and I'll actually play off of that uh, just to give myself maybe that downhill or even an uphill depending on which end I'm at. The other thing I'll do sometimes, uh, very similar to what you just suggested, John, and that is um, I'll play what I call one good, one bad, is I'll set up with one ball uh, that's either teed up or on a a good piece of, of, of grass, and then the other one, I'll hit one maybe out of a, an old divot that somebody uh, might even be one that I've made on the range, uh, and and set up uh, you know in order to be able to hit that because it's going to be a little bit different than what the the fluffier better lie is going to be. So um, you know you can do things like that just to practice what it's going to be like because you're going to be faced with that. Sometimes your ball might roll in the divot, or you're going to be faced with a downhill uphill lie. So you want to create as many scenarios as you can when you get out on the practice tee, uh, so that you can make sure that you're well prepared for when you're out in the golf course. Um, John H., I'm going to move on to you, and this sort of is a little bit of a follow-up from what uh, uh, John D. was just talking about, and, and, and this one is really the next shot is a moment in history, so you want to make it count. So uh, in other words, by focusing purely on the execution of the next shot, you'll automatically forget the previous, whether it was good or bad. Uh, the most important is that you make sure that this shot you're standing over is the one you are comfortable with and are confident you can do it. So what do we need to do here? John uh, you know, gave us uh, uh, some great tips in that, but you want to focus on the next shot. Um, you want to make sure that instead of thinking about what's happened in the past, the moment is now, the shot is, and you want to make that count. So maybe just give us an idea of, of what we can do when we're standing over that next shot, how we can get our mind sort of in a, in a good frame, if you will, in order to, to do that and how we can avoid uh, falling into that trap of, of thinking of the past. It's hard not to think of the past, and it, it's okay to evaluate and put away the past is, is a really simple way of saying it. Because uh, if you don't deal with your past, it's going to continue to haunt you. You've, you've got to package it, put it in a nice little bow, lock it away. Uh, from the remembrance of the past as a golfer, the, the shorter the memory, the better. 
even with great shots. I think you're wanting to retain some of the better shots, if not the best shots, uh, but realize the career shots are not your averages. Uh, You're trying to remember the shots that get you around that make you the golfer that you are. When you're dealing with it on the golf course, you've got time in between shots, riding in a cart not as much as walking, but there is time to clear yourself. I think one of the first things I tell golfers that really works is don't leave the area where you are until you've cleared that shot, until you've packaged packaged it and put it in your past. Walking forward, riding forward to that next shot, still harboring ill feelings or even highly elated feelings, that ebb and flow isn't necessarily good. We've we just got to put them away and say, you know what, on to the next one. I like to talk to my golfers in the form of tasks. Tasks have checklists. And when you've got another task in front of you, particularly maybe professionally, or for the student golfer, the junior golfer, it's something in a classroom that, hey, we've got to get something done in a certain amount of time. There's always tasks, and you're checking off those tasks possibly in a logical order, at least hopefully you are. And I like to talk about it as tasks. Uh, let's package the past. Let's move forward. Let's get up to the ball and, and look at the lie. And there's a, there's a checklist for everybody that's a little different for each golfer. But I think if you look at tasks that lead up to a shot, and the shot itself is a task, it's a culmination of the list of tasks that you just made, you tend to take emotion out of the equation. Uh, Tasks are are very non-emotional, if you really think about it from a professional standpoint of view. In some cases, they become very mundane. It's the mundaneness, the boredom, that people get a little bit anxious with with golf. they're, They're looking for the excitement. So sometimes you may harbor good or bad from the past just so you can gain some excitement. That's great if it's good momentum, but if it's excitement for the sake of excitement, that's not so healthy. Uh, If you love Mm -hmm. to be excited, then I'm really hoping that you can hit a lot of perfect shots because that's the only way you're going to stay in the moment. Mm -hmm. As soon as you miss it, as soon as you hit that bad one, you're toast. Uh, so I believe it all starts with you've got you to think of the past as the past, look at everything going forward as tasks, complete each task. I think as you do that, you will tend to remain focused right now, not necessarily in the future. Tasks allow you to see into the future, but not, that, not too far away, meaning you're on the fifth hole, you've made three birdies, hopefully you're not thinking of the 18th hole. You're thinking of the sixth hole, maybe. But as long as you're sticking with a plan that does that, that works for you, and everybody has a different way of doing it, working with a coach, working with a performance coach, working with a sports psychologist is helpful in this manner to create this type of routine that basically becomes your emotional Teflon. If you can use that Teflon to your advantage, you may not score the best, but I, would, I will tell you from personal experience as well as coaching experience, you won't experience your worst round either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, again, very well said. 
And, you know, a lot of times we see golfers that, you know, get to a hole that they've played many times before. Maybe last week they hit a six iron from this particular spot. They're in a similar spot. So they say, okay, well, this is my six iron, and I got it pretty close up to the pin, so I'm going to pull up my six again. But they don't factor in that the conditions may be different. The wind may be a little gustier today. Uh, it may require them to hit a five iron, or maybe the wind's coming from behind them this time instead of in their face, and that six iron is going to be, um, you know, too much club. So maybe they'd need to dial it back to a seven or possibly even an eight iron. So, you know, there are a lot of factors. No two shots are exactly the same. And I think a lot of times people, again, as you pointed out, whether it's good or bad, particularly the good shots, they do remember them, and it is good at some point to be able to have that draw from that knowledge. But I think you also have to remember that you're you're in a different shot right now, and it may require uh, a different assessment, if you will. In fact, it doesn't require a different assessment and possibly a different result. And so I think you have to be mindful of that, and I think working with somebody that can help uh, sort of piece all that together and help you, um, you know, sort of factor through things a little bit is going to make it uh, that much more successful. Uh, J.D., I'm going to come back to you, and this is one here um, that I think we don't really talk about a lot, um, and that is to commit 100% and nothing less. So if you're not 100% committed to a shot, uh, I believe you're done. Uh, and I really think this is huge. It's sad that really it's not discussed more. Um, to be committed to your shots, you need to know your shots. Um, and this is an area that I think particularly our higher handicap golfers fall into very uh, often, is, uh, especially if they get in a shot where they're in between clubs and so forth, uh, they're very hesitant. They just grab what they think, and they hit it, and then they're obviously ultimately disappointed, and it creates another bad memory for them uh, moving forward. But uh, 100% uh, committed, um, should we be that, number one? And if so, um, how do we get ourselves in that mindset to be 100% committed? Well, you're exactly right. You do have to be 100% committed uh, to hit any shot uh, successfully. I mean, you can hit a shot and not be 100% committed and most likely you're going to hit uh, a poor shot or even a terrible shot in, in those situations. Um, it's interesting because a lot of times when I go out on the golf course with younger players, like a lot of teenagers and even some adults, um, they might be in the trees and, and I say, okay, how are we going to play it from here? And uh, instinctively, uh, the majority of them will say, well, I'm going to try to hit it between those two trees. There's an opening. There's, a, they, you know, they, they all, everyone loves to talk about the opening that they have. And so um, a lot of times I'll let the, let the student hit them, hit the shot. And I'm amazed um, a lot of times they can, can do it, but a lot of times they don't. And um, one of the things I always uh, try to say to them is I would rather you commit 100% to the wrong shot then not commit to the right shot. So if in, in the situation, I'll say to them, okay, you tried to hit the ball between those two trees and you pulled it off. That's great. But here's the, what, what I would prefer from a percentage standpoint. It'd be much safer if you hit it out sideways or laterally out here to the fairway. And we went from there because you did hit it between the two, two trees, but you're not on the green. And so by playing over here, You've increased your odds of, of hitting the green, uh, you know, getting out in the fairway and hitting the green uh, by doing, doing it the safer way. You're obviously going to increase your odds of, of being on the green in two shots. It's going to take you two shots anyway. So that's an example right there of when, when people get in trouble is, you know, committing to a shot and then, uh, then being able to take that, that uh, and, and turn it into a score. A lot of times when you're out in the fairway, 
uh, in, in your in-between clubs, that is another situation where you see a lot of people, who, they can't make the commitment uh, one way or the other. And they're in-between clubs, not only in their hands, they'll hold two clubs in their hands, but in their mind, they're, they're in-between two clubs. And so I always tell them, play the shot that you know you can hit. Play the one. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I get in between a seven and an eight iron, 90% of the time, I'm going to take the seven iron, I'm going to choke down on it, and I'm going to make a three-quarter swing, and I'm going to hit more of like a punch shot. That I feel much more comfortable doing that than trying to take an eight iron and hit a full eight iron. Because if I know that if I hit a full eight iron, um, I'm a high ball hitter. I know that if I hit a full shot, I'm going to hit it higher in the air, and then now the wind is going to affect it. But I also know that if I miss hit it a little bit, I may not get it, you know, anywhere close to being the right distance because I'm trying to hit it so full. When I take the extra club, I give myself a little bit of a buffer so that if I don't hit it perfect, I'm still going to be pretty much, you know, on the green or within uh, a reasonable distance of the hole. So those are examples, and there's – a million different examples and you see it in putting you know do i play more break or do i firm it those are you know um again all of these indecisions that we get on the golf course um have to ultimately come back to commitment and playing the shot that you know that you can hit yeah and that that's really key to to really committing 100% is you have to understand your abilities and if you're faced with multiple options uh, for your next shot, you always want to settle. Unless you're an extremely accomplished player, you want to settle for the easier shot, the one you know you can almost 99.9% guarantee that you're going to pull it off um, because that way you're going to be 100% confident. And the, the percentage that you're not going to hit it solid or you're not going to hit it uh, the way it needs to be done is so minimal that you can pretty much do it without even thinking. When you start to, as you gave the analogy of hitting between two trees, that's a very high percentage shot of, of failure, uh, even for some accomplished players. So, uh, again, you don't want to put yourself in a position. It's better, as you pointed out, John, to hit it out to the side and give yourself a better opportunity to hit from the fairway than try to pull off some hero shot from the woods um, or from behind a tree or two. Um, but great, great uh, points, uh, John. Thank you for that. Uh, John H., I'm going to come back to you. And this one here is really um, an interesting concept, and that is to put yourself in position to hit your shots. And I'm going to give you some examples here in a minute. So you've got your shots that you can hit, uh, but now you need to hit your shots in a way that sets up good situations to actually be able to hit them. So let me give you an example of what I mean by your shots. So as an example, I can hit a hybrid with a draw. Uh, I can hit a driver with a fade. Uh, I can hit my irons high, uh, or I can hit my irons low. Um, but on the opposite side of the uh, coin is I was having problems uh, with chunking my full wedge shot. So I know my wedge shots are not 100% solid, um, particularly from 110 to 115 yards. I'm really uh, kind of sketchy, uh, and I didn't have a shot for. So when I know what my shots are that I can confidently hit, those shots, and those are just some examples, or maybe others in your particular uh, bag, if you will. But once I know what shots I'm confident and I'm comfortable that I can hit, now I can strategize and put myself in a position to be able to utilize some of those shots. Maybe give us an example, John H., of how we can better do that um, and how we can really sort of analyze our game to not just have the 14 clubs that we have in a bag, 
but actually have multiple shots that we can pull out at various times and then set ourselves up in such a way that we can actually use those shots more frequently. Sure, and this is this goes back to not course management. I call it self-management. There, nobody manages the course but the superintendent and the higher powers to be. You got to manage yourself. So, with that said, do you have the inventory of your skills? To as you mentioned, I hit a, a draw with my hybrid, but a fade with my driver. That's an inventory of skills. Do you know what your skills mm-hmm. are that are repeatable? A. B, how do your skills set up for particular holes on a particular golf course? That's really important. Mm-hmm. There's going to be holes that don't meet your eye. Why does it meet your eye? Because possibly you don't have those skills, and that's okay. But what skills do you have to navigate that golf hole? That might not be a hole you're going to attack where a competitor might, a playing partner might, because they have a different set of skills. But when it comes down to, hey, I chucked that 110 wedge, why are you even playing to 110? Why, why are you calculating that in? Most people are not thinking mathematically about what their skills can and cannot do. I'll give you a couple of examples. If Falcons fire holes two and number six are drivable par fours, yet everybody gets their driver out, either puts it, in the water on six in the hazard, uh, puts it behind the trees and some really thick rough to the right, which leaves you in between water. If you're long enough, it puts you in a pond on number two. Uh, Looking backwards, you can see better how your skills would fit these two holes. And most of the time, people are putting themselves in what I call no person land, the, the wedge shots that you don't practice, that you're trying to create swings to versus trying to change setup and or understanding your overlapping carry distances. Avoiding this no person land is paramount. If you're trying to hit driver there and it's going to leave you a 40-yard flip wedge and you don't practice the flip wedge, then why are you hitting driver? You should be hitting something to a more comfortable yardage. Is it 110 and you chuck it? Let's avoid that too. But I hit my irons well, as you described. What irons do I hit the best? Which ones do I hit most accurately? If you're using some kind of statistical package that's tracking that, you're going to have that answer. And now on the tee, instead of hitting driver, maybe I'm hitting that four iron on number six. Maybe on number two, I'm hitting hybrid to put me 130, 135 back to a little bit bigger target that's more receptive than hole number six is. It's all a matter of understanding the golf course, but most importantly, understanding your skills and realizing how these skills fit into the golf holes. And when you do that, looking backwards, you get a little cleaner picture, while at the same time, you get a better understanding of decision-making. Again, better decisions is always going to allow you to set up better. Set up isn't always necessarily just you. It's setting up the next shot as well. It's setting up your next putt by a better approach shot to middle of greens versus attacking pins. Again, it goes back to your shot shapes, whether you hit it high, low, left, right, and understanding what skills you have control of from those certain distances and or with those certain clubs. When you're talking about breaking 
the the bigger milestones, breaking 80 more often, especially breaking 70, not only understanding your skills, but being able to acquire new skills, particularly with trajectory and spin control, are paramount. Without those, you can't break those milestones. When you're breaking 80, you get to learn them first. You, You get to experiment with them. You get to feel what you're capable of and the skills you're capable of comfortably performing when you're out on the golf course. To break that 70 mark, you've been practicing those, and you're not going to try something unless absolutely necessary that you haven't done before in practice under pressure. That's really the the, the hallmark of trying to use your skills to the best of advantage. But I would tell you point blank, Scotty Scheffler probably has a no-person land, and if you go back and look at all four rounds, he did probably a wonderful job of avoiding it unless, by accident, the ball took a carom to one of those yardages and or he had to play one of those yardages due to being in trouble with the previous shot. It's Mm -hmm. all a matter of great decisions to avoid that, but you have to be able to make decisions off of great information what are your skills? How does the whole set up? What will work best for you? There's no one particular way, as you mentioned before. It could be wind conditions, atmospheric. It could be wet, dry. Mm-hmm. All that's taken into consideration. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. And, you know, you, you put it very well because it, it really is having a, a good understanding of your skill set. What skill <coughs> – Pardon me. <coughs> Sorry, the water went down the wrong way. Um, it, it's understanding your skill set and what you bring to the table. And the, the better that you can identify those skills, the more successful you're going to be in, in mapping out uh, a strategy uh, to play your next round. So a uh, great answer, and, and uh, you unpacked that one very well uh, as, as well. Um, J.D., I'm going to give you this one here. This is an interesting one. Uh, there are two imaginary boxes, if you will. Uh, there's a think box and a play box. One's behind the ball, which is referred to as the think box. The other uh, box is next to the ball where you play from, which, of course, is called the play box. And the two boxes are separated by the imaginary decision line. Give us an idea of really what we're talking about here between the two boxes. Again, obviously, these are imaginary, but they're obviously something that we have to consider uh, when we're playing. So, Give us an idea of what we're talking about here between a think and a play box. Well, I love this question. Uh, starting out with the think box, I mean, I with my students, I talk about there's four parts to a pre-shot routine. And, and everything that you're talking about right now is really go, goes back to your pre-shot routine. Uh, the first thing that um, you, you do is you have the thinking area or uh, you think or you see the shot. Uh, then you feel the shot then you execute the shot, and then you trust all the above. So you see it, you feel it, you do it, and you trust it. And that's Bob Rotella 101 right there. So when you're in the think box, you're basically standing behind the ball. You're thinking, I tell students, when you're back there behind the ball, you can think about your target, you can think about your swing, you can think about your yardage, the wind, you can think about all that stuff. But as soon as you step forward, and you'll see some guys, they have a trigger, They might grab and pull at their shirt. They might tip their hat. They might tap their club on the ground. Something to trigger, you leave from the thinking to now the feel part or the, um, you know, in the pre-shot routine. 
and that's where you start feeling the shot. So you've got to go from the thinking to the feeling. So you make your practice swings. Uh, you always make a rehearsal swing, and then you set up to the ball the way we, we teach our students to do it on the driving range. You set up, go through, get your ball position, get set up, you execute the shot, and then you trust all the above. I also break it down into players because I, I think a lot of times when I look at students, I look at them and I say, he's a thinker and he's a player. And so if you're a thinker and you come to me, what I want to do is try to teach you to be a player. I want to get you out of your head. I want to get you doing drills. I want to get you doing things that don't involve video, that don't involve launch monitors, that don't involve data, that involve feel. And if you're a field player, I try to teach you to be more of a thinker. Not that I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to expand their horizon. I'm trying to make their their game and develop their game so that they're a little more balanced. If they're a field player, then that's great. I think Tiger Woods is a great example. He is primarily a field player. But if you talk to him about spin rates and things like that, he is very he's very intelligent as far as his answers. He he knows a lot about the golf swing. But ultimately, when he gets on the golf course, he is a field player. Bryson DeChambeau is the complete opposite. If I was working with him, I would get him away from a launch monitor. I'd get him away from video. I would try to do things to speed him up, to get him to play more like an athlete and less like a scientist. Not that I'm going to change either one of those players, and those are two examples of great players. But what it does, what it does is it, it develops them in ways that is different. And, and in my opinion, um, that's how you grow as a player. That's how you grow um, in, in learning more about yourself and how to um, – because you can't always, um, you know, if you're a field player, you can't always just rely on field. Sometimes you have to sit back and look at percentages and say, you know, this is a much smarter play for me to do this and be more analytical in your decision. So those are um, examples of the field versus the thinker, and, and it's one of the most fascinating parts – to teaching, I think, and um, it's something that I enjoy uh, discussing with all my students. Yeah, and and you know it, it's it's also important too, um, and and thank you for that, John. You know, is you have to make it between moving from your think box to your play box, a decision has to be made. As you pointed out, John, you know you can pretty much think about all those different things, whether it's your target, uh, whether it's your swing or what have you beforehand. But then once you have assessed and that's part of the assessment. That's part of your pre-shot routine, uh, assessing the situation. Then you have to make a decision, and it goes back to what we talked about a few moments ago, and that is you have to make a, a commitment. You have to be 100% committed to the decision that you make before you step into that play box. And if you're not ready to do that, then you need to get back, and you need to go back into the think box and maybe think a few more things that maybe you hadn't thought of or maybe you need to reassess, whatever the case is, before you, again, make that decision and then step into the play box. So, um Excellent uh, uh, way of uh, setting it up there, and, and um, John H., I'm going to come to you. You talked about, um, and we both have, or all of us talked about uh, many times, is our pre-shot routine, but one that we don't talk about as much, and that is the post-shot routine. So after your shot, it's important to react in a way that will let you continue playing well instead of getting angry and overly emotional. Um, give us an idea of really what uh, the importance of the post-shot routine is and how we can be more successful getting that in line just as we do with the pre-shot routine. So when I'm 
talking to especially my competitive players, but more so with the beginner. The beginner's got to understand that from a biophysical, from a neurophysiological standpoint of view, that your brain is going through a very simple equation of two plus two equals what? When you make a golf swing, the first two represents your setup. The second two in the equation is your swing, but it doesn't always equal four. And being able to see ball flight to, until it lands non-judgmentally, just look at, the, look at the ball flight and then make a determination, was that a four? And if it wasn't a four, what was it and what was, in, what was deficient? Was it your setup that was deficient? Did the setup cause deficiency in your swing? You've got to do that first and foremost to be able to go on. It's not necessarily what you're feeling so much as connecting what you're feeling to what you're seeing, and that's even more important. The less you have played, the less experience you have with this. With the better players, I'm always reminding of this because this really is the start, the trigger of your post-swing evaluation. So you can wrap everything up in a tidy little bow and, and go on. You'll see this on TV quite often where a tour player, male or female, old or young, will make a swing. They're not liking it. You can see their facial expression. You can see the nonverbal leaning to one side or another. They show the outcome of the swing, and then they cut back to the player who is now maybe rehearsing something. What are they rehearsing? They're rehearsing what they're hoping they can repeat the next time, not necessarily what they felt for that particular swing. They're trying to make a comparison as to, okay, here's what I felt versus here's what I want to feel. A lot of times the better players can wrap it up in a tidy little bow just doing that, and that is one of the things that a good sports psychologist is going to teach a more advanced golfer is let's just tidy it up this way. It might not be what you wanted, but here is what you want, and you don't want to go forward until you determine what that want is and what it feels like. So that that's basically the start of it. The balance of it is emotional, more emotional than anything else. As much as you may have wanted something, did you really earn it? And I think when you put it in perspective that way, you're tying back to the process I just talked about. If you didn't earn it, then why should you have gotten it? You, you got what you deserve. Now, as John mm-hmm. said, and I, I love this and I, I teach this to my competitive juniors all the time, you now have an <laughs> opportunity. Every shot you hit creates a new opportunity. And I also talk about it as problem solving. How good of a problem solver are you? Are you ready to go solve the next problem? You have to have a clear mind to understand that. Uh, When you can look at this as an opportunity to solve another problem, and the only time you're going to do that is by clearing out the previous, you're going to become a better golfer just by nature. We as human beings love to solve problems. We love the challenges. But when you're emotionally stuck in the past, and whether it's golf, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a professional position you really wish you would not have lost, whether it's your fault or not, it doesn't matter. The more you harbor these feelings of the past emotionally, the less likely you're moving forward. So you've got to find your own little way 
of clearing the emotions. And there's lots of different ways of doing it. There's lots of different exercises and drills, mantras, whatever it is. The reason why there's a lot of them is because there's a lot of us. And not Mm -hmm. one always works for everybody. You've got to go out, figure out what works best for you. For me, after I've done the two plus two, I may chastise myself, but in a very nice way, because that nice way, basically I go, well, it could have been worse. And, yeah, that phrase means a lot to a lot of different people, but for me on the golf course is exactly that. I could have been in a worse position, in a hazard, uh, in in a place I wasn't aiming for. And what that allows me to do emotionally is to reset and say, wow, I've got another opportunity. I've got another challenge. I've got another time that I can solve a problem and show that my decision-making skills as well as my physical skills can get me to advance the ball the way I'd like it. It takes some time to develop that for each player. However, if you don't start working on it now and recognizing that the post shot is just as important as the pre shot, you're sort of you're not going around in circles. You're in a one way one way alley to a brick wall. And until you figure out how to get not through the brick wall, but understand how the transparency of the brick wall allows you to play better, you're sort of stuck hitting your head on that wall. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking, you know, really with a lot of the points that we've we've been covering here tonight, I think the earlier, especially new golfers, the earlier you can start to develop skills in these areas. And it's not just all about <clears throat> pardon me, ball striking and obviously you you need to work on those skills too and and some of the others that we've talked about in the past as well as tonight. Uh but the earlier that you can start to work on some of these things and understand them uh, in your in your development of, of becoming a better player, um, the easier time you're going to have. A lot of times everybody f- sort of focuses on one aspect. They just want to hit the ball really well, which is important, don't get me wrong. But they spend so much time, but they don't, they don't get into the pre-shot routine. They don't get into the post-shot routine. They don't get into some of the other things that uh, are important uh, part of golf. And, and what ultimately ends up happening is, you know, yeah, they might be a pretty good ball striker, but then when they get out in the golf course, um, you know, suddenly they're looking like a, you know, a 25 handicapper because they don't know how to put it all together. They haven't incorporated some of the other skill sets that, that we're talking about here. Um, so they don't know how to put it all together. And, and John D., this is um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with you and then uh, uh, John H., if you want to uh, join in as well. Um, the last one is um, control the things that you can control and forget the rest. So uh, we've all been in situations, or certainly students have been in situations where maybe you've played uh, golf with a guy who, who's you know, swearing a lot, shouts, curses all the time, works himself up to a frenzy. Um, maybe you've seen him even snap a club here and there, uh, a putter or what have you, um, or a player who blames literally everything for his game except himself, the weather, slow players, even the grass, the weather, what have you. Um, this is an important one, too, I think, that people have to come to terms with, John. Uh, Dean, I'm going to start, and then uh, John H., if you want to join in. Um, and that is learning to control the things that you can control. What are your thoughts? That's, a, that's exactly right. The, the number one thing, and I try to, to stress this to anyone that I'm working with in golf or just in the, in the game of life, 
is you can control your attitude. You know, you can control your attitude, and you can also control your work ethic. Um, you know, so you, the preparation, you know, I think I loved what John just said. You know, if you're not prepared, you know, I, if you're not prepared, people ask me all the time, you know, why don't you play more, more tournament golf? You know, why don't you play more? And I said, well, the reason I don't play more tournament golf is because I'm teaching golf all day long. I don't have time to prepare and, and mm-hmm. you know, for a tournament. I could go sign up and play in a tournament, but I'm not going to go sign up and play in a tournament if I'm not prepared because I know what's going to happen. So, uh, you know, a lot of students, a lot of, a lot of uh, people, listeners out there, um, you know, they, they want to take their lesson, you know, maybe a week before the member gets, or they're going to practice, you know, one time before a tournament or an outing or whatever, and they expect that, you know, to have great results. And, you know, you have to put in the prep time. You have to put, have the right attitude. But, but it's, it's so much of what you're doing, you know, on the golf course, in my opinion, um, is being able to block out everything. I played my best golf looking back, you know, years ago when I played in tournaments and I was playing a lot. I always felt like the, the, the times that I played the best, is when I had the ability to focus only on one shot at a time. I was um, I was cordial. I would talk, you know, going down the fairway. I would talk, but when it came to me executing the shot, I had the ability to block everything out and execute the shot. Looking back, when I didn't play well, I was the complete opposite. I did. I let other things distract me. I let uh, noise that somebody was making distract me, or I let um, you know, someone playing slow in front of me, uh, you know, I would start using those excuses. And anytime you start using, making excuses, you're not controlling your attitude. So your attitude is important. Uh, how you act on the golf course is important. Uh, when you're playing poorly, it's important to finish out the round because you never know what you'll learn about yourself. On the last hole, when you're out of the tournament, you're not playing well, you never know. You might make a swing and say, oh, my gosh, that's the best shot I've hit all day. Well, bottle that. Take that pause, Take that one little positive out of a bad day and take it to the driving range the next day and try to replicate it and take it to your next golf tournament and try to replicate it. So I think those attitude, how, you know, how you act on the golf course is something you can control. You can't control the weather. You can't control your pairings and things like that. But you can control how you, how you think and your attitude and uh, and your pre-shot routine and and being consistent with that and uh, and then after that you just go out and do the best you can. I yeah, and I think um, John. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Seth, I, John. I H- agree with no. all that. You want to add anything? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I, a lot of people will ask me when we're on the course, why don't I bring my golf clubs? Uh, not only am I not prepared, I'm in control of coaching them, and mm-hmm. I can only play when I'm not distracted. Uh, I may pick up their clubs and demonstrate something, but for me to go out and shoot a score, it's not the right environment for me to be coaching somebody at the same time. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that, but then when I take them out and it's all about shooting a score, then they understand. It's, it, when we're coaching, it's about their score. Uh, when it comes to control, I think John succinctly said it. What, it. Just know what you have control over and just deal with that. There are, There's a reason why you'll hear 
tour pros at the end of a round during a post post round interview take ownership of everything they did and it's because mm-hmm. they know they had full control of it behind the scenes they may be blaming some people and that's fine and it's not un, unlike any professional athlete to distribute some blame it's just part of the ego of an athlete but they get over it quickly especially the best ones because they do take ownership of what they can control they look at that as another challenge. Let's go out. What I didn't do right, let's go fix that right now. A great example is Scotty Scheffler's uh, driver on 18 Saturday Saturday evening, and he's there was live video of him at 10:30 at night. They're trying to shut the lights off on the range, and he's still out there with Randy Smith trying to fix his driver. Um, mm-hmm. That's taking ownership. That's understanding what you have control of. It's it's literally a matter of, of checking your ego at the door sometimes for you to better understand that. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's also too as as both of you have put it, um, is is bringing the right attitude. I mean, I think you could probably cure um, a lot of golfers um, just by changing their attitude. Um, I mean. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've had a student that will come to me and already they're dumping the baggage. They're already talking about all the things that they're doing wrong and, and you know, they're not really thinking about any of the things that they're doing right. And a lot of times after we've done the assessment, there's a lot more that they're doing right than they're, what they're doing wrong. But their their attitude has, has they've programmed themselves to focus on the flaws or the disappointments or what have you so much so that it overshadows the good parts. So I think you certainly you have to take ownership, um, but you can, as you both pointed out, you can only control what you can control, and you have to just sort of chuck the rest of it aside. Now, there's moments when you want to maybe uh, have a deeper discussion or a, a deeper evaluation of what uh, some of the problem areas are, and that's when you do that with your coach or your teaching pro, um, uh, you know, during the lessons, um, you know, investigate and al- uh, analyze, and then put together a game plan uh, with your coach uh, that's going to help you overcome some of those or certainly improve areas that, are, that you're currently struggling with. Um, but I think to just to, to go to the golf course um, with that sort of baggage, if you will, uh, with things that, you know, as, uh, again, we've all pointed out many times, that you have no control, uh, the weather conditions, your playing partners, you can't control uh, what they're doing or not doing. Uh, you can only control what you're doing, and uh, your attitude can can really, and your emotions uh, can get the better of you. And we've seen that many, many times. Uh, I'm sure all of us over the years. But uh, great discussion, guys. Very interesting. Some great points, and I think we uh, we covered a lot of ground. And hopefully, the the listeners um, uh, will take away something from this. And if not, then I want you to after the show because uh, they're going to stick around for another hour, and uh, John D is going to. Uh, take a quick break, and he's going to come back and join me. We've got some exciting things in his uh, neck of the woods that we're going to talk about. Um, and uh, But go back, and you can listen to the first part of the show in its entirety. A little bit later on, I'll tell you how you can do that. But, um, guys, thank you as always, and I'm going to give you a quick moment. Uh, John H., we'll start with you, and then, uh, John, you can let the folks know um, how they can uh, uh, reach out. Uh, Mr. Hughes, go ahead. Sure. Again, Ted, thanks for the opportunity. Always enjoy the second Tuesday of the month with you and whoever's on with me. John Decker, 
Always great to talk to you. Glad to see you this past winter, and, and best of luck to you as you and your clients strive forward for the season ahead of you. You can reach me very simply, John Hughes Golf, whether it's an ampersand, a hashtag, an email address, or a website. JohnHughesGolf.com is how you reach me. Just want to shamelessly plug an opportunity for you to join <laughs> me at Macklemore which is a top 100 course, one of the top 10 finishing holes of, in all the world this summer. Still have some dates open for that. It's a three-week uh, window where I'm doing a temporary <laughs> residence, coaching residency uh, through a really good friend of mine, Charlie Reimer, who's director of operations there. Uh, plenty of space to join me there, a, a beautiful facility, and all you got to do is contact me and, and get your dates put in, and we're good to go. So I hope you take advantage of that. And Ted, once again, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, John, and I'll see you uh, next month, second Tuesday. Um, or sorry, second Thursday. <laughs> Pardon me, second Thursday. Um, all right, John D., uh, how can the folks reach out to you? I know you're going to give it again later on, but uh, you can go ahead and do it now, too, if you want. Well, thank you, Ted, once again for having me on the show. And, and John Hughes, I really enjoyed being on with you as always. And I, I want to thank you for the hospitality uh, you showed me when I was in Orlando for the show and uh, allowing me to do the videos out at Metro West and at Falcon Spire and everything. So I really want to thank you again for that. Uh, folks out there, if they want to reach me, I invite you to go to my website, DeckerGolf.com. Um, you can also find me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Um, I have my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. I now have an audible book with that as well, um, but you can download those. Or you can download the book, uh, the audible book on Amazon, Amazon Audible, or iTunes. Um, and if you're looking for a public speaking um, in, you know, speaker, um, Feel free to reach out to me as well. I do a, a lot of that and, and uh, with book signings as well. And, uh, and also, uh, for the listeners out there, I recommend that you consider getting a subscription to Golf Tips Magazine. And um, I know John writes a lot of great articles, and um, I feature Fairways to Heavens in there as well, and I do instructional articles for that as well. So that's been a, been a real thrill. So, uh, again, Ted, thank you for the opportunity. And, John, uh, great, uh, great being with you again tonight. All right, guys. Thank you both for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Great discussion again. Um, Mr. Hughes, I will see you next time. And, John, uh, go ahead and take a bit of a break, and you're going to be coming back here in a few moments, and we're going to uh, have a great discussion on the second half of the program. But um, first, here's a quick message uh, from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. 
All right, and again, you can go to golftipsmag.com and uh, click on subscribe, and there's a, a number of ways that you can subscribe. Uh, you can get the print version, uh, you can get a digital version, or you can get both, uh, depending on what you prefer. Uh, some people like to get both. Um, they can keep a, a print copy at home, and if they're traveling on the road, they can, uh, with the use of their tablet or phone or, or maybe a small laptop, uh, they can get access to a digital version of the magazine as well. Uh, the great thing about the digital version as well is you can get uh, access to past issues um, when you sign up as well. So if you missed, uh, if you're a new subscriber and you want to see some of the past issues, uh, you're able to go back a few past issues and see uh, some of the earlier uh, copies of the magazine. It's always a great way to uh, pick up on some things that you've missed. Uh, but definitely going to do that. And if you're a current subscriber and you're tuning into the show tonight, uh, maybe you've got a golfing buddy who could use uh, a helping hand, uh, to say the least, with their game. Uh, you might want to gift a subscription uh, to Golf Tips Magazine, so you can do that uh, um, in the, from the website as well at golftipsmag.com. And both Johns, of course, uh, are contributing editors and part of the top 25 instructor list uh, on the show or on the magazine, and uh, have done a great job over uh, the time to uh, to be able to help uh, many golfers out there. Uh, improve their uh, game. So you definitely want to check out that. Go to golftipsmag.com. And also on the website itself, there's a lot of interesting articles as well as some instructional, uh, some uh, products and equipment reviews as well. So make sure you check those out. And lots of new exciting things going to be coming to the website uh, in the weeks and months ahead. So keep an eye out for that. But go to golftipsmag.com, check out the website, and also um, you can subscribe there or gift a subscription if you prefer. Um, But a lot of great ways to listen to this show as well. Um, this is season 10 for Golf Talk Live. It's hard to believe, um, but I've been doing this for 10 years now. And uh, for some reason, if you're uh, not familiar with, uh, you've obviously found us here tonight if you're listening to the program, uh, but if you want to go back and hear some of the past uh, broadcasts, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Live and just scroll down to the on-demand section and you can listen to all of the shows uh, that have been previously aired, and they're in order of the most recent. So tonight's obviously, if you're at that website, you're listening live. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can listen to the recording version if you go to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive and just scroll down into the on-demand section and listen to a variety of uh, different uh, uh, previously aired broadcasts. And uh, just a quick note, uh, last week, of course, was uh, the Masters Week, and um, we had a couple of very special guests uh, in case you didn't tune in, you might want to definitely take advantage in going back and listening to a, uh, a previous broadcast. Last week, of course, uh, the legendary Pat Boone, actor uh, and recording artist, as well as the uh, executive producer of the new movie, The Mulligan, uh, which Pat, of course, is one of the stars in. Uh, they came on and talked about that, and that's uh, they did a presentation at the Masters uh, tournament on uh, Tuesday of last week. Not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday uh, leading up to the Masters. And uh, there was a special private viewing, uh, and it got rave reviews. And then it's going to be coming to select theaters uh, April 18th and 19th, which I believe is a Monday and Tuesday of next week, uh, at select theaters. And the best way to, to get advanced tickets or find out where you can uh, go to see that uh, before it's fully released is go to themulliganmovie.com. That's themulliganmovie.com. It's a really, really great movie. Uh, and it's not just about golf. There's obviously a much more hidden message there, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, certainly something, as Pat pointed out when he was on the show last week, I think given our current 
circumstances uh, globally that we could use a little uh, message to uplift and, and get our spirits. So it's a good movie. It's a heartfelt movie. And uh, Pat Boone, of course, is a, a legend uh, here uh, in, in uh, entertainment and uh, does a great job in, in his role. And, of course, Rick Eldridge, who was the executive producer, uh, shared his thoughts as well. So go to themulliganmovie.com to uh, get more information on advanced uh, viewing, which is uh, becoming available at select theaters April 18th and 19th. All right, uh, as I mentioned, my special guest on the second half of the show is on the first half of the show, John Decker. Uh, He's, again, the director of instruction at the Medallion Club in uh, Columbus, Ohio. He's also a top 25 instructor and senior editor for Golf Tips Magazine. And he's here to talk about uh, a few things, his website and also his audiobook and a few other things. So let's welcome back my good friend and uh, John Decker. John, welcome back. That was a quick break. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, it was a, that was a quick break, but I appreciate you. I know it's uh, going to be a long, we'll try to... Uh, give you a little bit of a, an early break uh, on tonight's discussion. So I want to I want to talk about um, you had written a book um, a number of years ago, and that's really how we sort of first met. Is you had sent me out a, a copy of your book, and and uh, and then you became a part of the show, and then a little bit later on when I acquired Golf Tips Magazine, you've now uh, come on board with that. But uh, you wrote a book uh, called Golf Is My Life: Glorifying God Through the Game, which, as I mentioned uh, earlier on. Uh, uh, it also includes a, a Bible study, and you've taken it a step further, and now it's it's available in an audiobook form. Uh, talk about why you decided to do that, and sort of how it led up to uh, becoming, and then we'll get into where it's available and so forth. But why did you decide to to put this in an audiobook form? Well, Ted, it's um, when, when I when the book first came out, I had not. I did not have any, um, you know, inclination at all of uh, even any thought of doing an audio book. Um, and I started going and doing book signings, um, and, uh, and I had several people come up to me and, says, and ask me, you know, John, is the book available in audio form? And I said, no, it's not. Um, and I really kind of, um, kind of laughed at the idea or even kind of played it off. Um, but I started, it, it started happening every time I would do a book signing. And so I started realizing the popularity of audiobooks. And I frankly had never listened to an audiobook. I had friends who had. I'd always done it the old fashioned way. Um, and so um, a couple years after the, the book was released in 2016, um, and then I started getting approached, uh, Audiobooks Network reached out to me. And they had a salesman uh, that reached out to me and asked that if I would be interested in in doing this. And I said, no, I said, I'm not interested. Um, but I said, you know, check with me, you know, six, eight months. I'm, who knows? I may change my mind down the road. He, he, he asked if he could call me back and I said, sure. Uh, but I honestly didn't think that I would ever do it. But as time went on, he kept, he was very persistent. He, he called me, like he said, <laughs> every six months or so. And after about the fourth time, I finally said, you know what, I, I, I think I'm going to do this. And so I started um, talking, you know, getting a little bit more in depth with them about what was involved. Um, and so, you know, we had to get a narrator and all that stuff, uh, lined up and and it was really an interesting process. Uh, I did not understand at all how popular audiobooks are. Uh, and if you think about the way we live our lives now, uh, it's just a great way to read a book while you're driving to work or while you're, 
working out or just, you know, washing the dishes. Uh, so it's a great way to kind of kill two birds with one stone, and and I'm so thankful I did it. Yeah, and and I think you're you're exactly right. I think the way, especially with the advancement of technology, I know, you know, as an example, uh, when I've gone on road trips or I've traveled, uh, Carol and I, my my girlfriend, um, we've quite often listened to audiobooks. Um, we haven't here lately, and we'll get back into it. But um, when we went on some of our, especially our longer trips, and they were always interesting. Um, and a lot of fun. Sometimes we would sort of get a murder mystery or something, and so there'd always be a sort of a plot and a twist to it. And it was always a great way to really. And I'm a visual person anyway, so for me, you know, when I'm listening to the audiobook at the same time, of course, I had to be mindful of driving. But you know, I'm I'm sort of visualizing uh, the story that's going on. So it, it's definitely something that has become very, very popular, and I think it was a smart move. Uh, there, I believe, as, as I know you do, is there's always a timing for everything, and I think the time was um, was now to do this. And um, so you, you gathered the information, you had the discussion, and then, you, as you said, you picked a narrator in that. Um, how long was the process from once you made the commitment for it to, to get finished uh, until it was uh, av- available to uh, to be uploaded and released to the public? It's it's about an eight, six to eight month process, depending on the length of the book. My book, I think, has 296 pages. Um, I thought at first, you know, that, that it would, might be something that I could do, but, but then I started talking to them about how long it would take, and it takes months to, to, do, uh, to do an audio book. Uh, I did not realize that I don't have months to to do that, and I, I quite frankly I would not have been I would not have been right for that. Uh, even though I wrote the book, um, the the Kyle Colton, who's the who's the gentleman who did the um, who was the narrator, um, when when they sent me they sent me a questionnaire. I had to fill answer a bunch of questions, and they said you know they asked about questions about the narrator, and I said well first of all he has to be a male. Uh, second of all, he has to, I, I, I want him to know something about the game of golf. And I also want him to have a southern accent. I mean, I'm from North Carolina. A lot of the stories are from North Carolina out of the book. Um, I wanted that, that feel. I did not, I mean, to have a New York accent for somebody from Black Mountain, North Carolina, would not make a lot of sense. So the guy, they, right. sent me three, they sent me three voices to listen to. And I listened to the first guy, and he had this real serious, like, uh, he, he sounded like he was, like, out of Dartmouth or something, uh, and, and, like, real Ivy League boy. And I said, that's not going to work. So I immediately th- w- went with the, the second one. And by the time we got to the third one, Kyle, he, his voice, he did not have an accent, but his tone was very similar to mine. And so um, I, I sent back a questionnaire, and I said, can Kyle – um, can he possibly, you know, do a Southern accent? Well, Kyle, they sent me back another audition tape with a, uh, with a Southern accent. Now, he overdid it at first. He got too slow and too drawn out. And then we, we sped him up and we got it kind of in that sweet spot. And he was able to do it. What was amazing also is he was able to play, you know, there's women in the book, my mom and my grandmother. He was able, their their voices, he was able to, uh, do their voices um, in, in a female version. He did Helen Alfredson. Helen Alfredson wrote a forward for, um, for, cha- for chapter one, which is Augusta. She wrote the forward for that chapter, and um, he did Helen Alfredson's voice. 
Uh, so I don't know if he went on YouTube and listened to Helen Alfredson or what, but he was able to do a really good um, <laughs> accent of Helen Alfredson. Um, so it, it was just um, when, when I listened to the book and listened to the way he was able to change his voice and, and read the book, it took on a whole new life. And I was amazed. I was really dreading the editing process because if you've ever written a book, the editing is torture. I mean, editing just, it's the, every minute detail has to be approved. If you change a comma, you have to have it approved. And it's just this long ordeal. I actually really enjoyed the audiobook editing process because I could sit back and just listen. My mind opened up and all of a sudden it was, I felt like I was listening to it for, and, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the stories and the stories were about my life. So um, I, I knew at that point, wow, this was, I think it's going to be better as an audio book than it's going to be as a written book. And where is it currently available now? I mean, it's, I know it's publicly released because um, you and I have obviously talked many times over the uh, the last uh, few years, but where is it now available if, if people want to get that and download a copy of the audiobook, where can they go? Well, you can go to Amazon, uh, Amazon Audible, and iTunes. Um, but I also um, want uh, the listeners out there to consider, if you go to my website, DeckerGolf.com, and I, we'll probably talk a little bit about that tonight as well, but DeckerGolf.com, you can actually uh, order it right there. There's a, um, there's a video that I just put up on there. Uh, that's um, that's on the instructional part, but there's some, a video talking about the audio book. If you go, uh, you can. There's a section for the book, and you can go there, and and there's a link, and it'll take you directly to to uh, the Amazon Audible uh, website. So you're able to order it right off the, off of my website as well. So let's talk about the website. This is something I know that you've talked about for quite some time that you've wanted to put together your own website. I mean. Um, you know, if you're going to be in the golf business these days with technology and so forth, you've got to have, uh, uh, um, in addition to just the traditional social media, you've got to have sort of a what I call the website is really a, a master landing page uh, for your business. Um, that's where you want people to go to first. Then you can obviously direct them um, wherever you want them to go from there. But the, you have to have sort of a home, if you will, or a master landing page, as I call it, uh, for people to go to. And as you mentioned, it's DeckerGolf.com. Give us a little bit of an idea of what your thought process was here on what you wanted to develop. Obviously, you had somebody uh, do the, the behind leg work for you, but um, uh, you've also been able to, uh, you know, to integrate uh, your thoughts and ideas. So what was it you really wanted to uh, have for somebody that what's their experience when they go to Decker Golf? Well, I, there's a there's a lot of things that, that I really wanted to try to accomplish and still want to try to accomplish with the the website. I I think I work on the website every day. And, and keep in mind, uh, I didn't have a cell phone. I'm 55. I didn't have a cell phone until I was in my early 30s. So I'm having to catch up with the technology, uh, the way technology's taken off. And and so um, you know, for me uh, now, I can go on and add videos and 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 if I want to put things in the website. I've, I've learned how to do all that. And it's been really, really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but I wanted to have a home so that my students, uh, during the lesson, I can say, I, you know, I like to have, I like to do a lot of drills. And I've shot a lot of videos over the last five years or so, uh, over 300 that I am now moving to the website. And I've got the website broken down into full swing, uh, putting, 
chipping, pitching, bunker, uh, course management, and also golf fitness. And um, each each section, when you click on the section, just the videos, it'll there's a it's a it'll say like full swing video library, and it has a, the count, and I think it's over 50 or so videos just in the full swing that I have currently, and there'll be more coming. Um, so those videos are great ways for my students to reinforce the lesson. So if I'm working with them on their takeaway in their club face, I can tell them about the drills uh, for the takeaway. Or if I'm working with them on putting or chipping, I've got all the, that information so that they can go home and after the lesson, they have a way to kind of still be in contact with me, uh, looking through the website. And I know that they're getting a consistent message. The problem is, is if you're trying to learn golf off YouTube, uh, or if you're trying to, you know, follow up your lessons on YouTube, once you get on there, it takes you to all these different people. And now all of a sudden you have all these messages that are coming at you about, you know, one person says do this, the other person says do something completely opposite. And I think that you don't get any better. You may gather a lot of information on golf, but it's not going to help you when you're out on the golf course. I want my students to be uh, getting a consistent message the way I was taught, the way I try to teach all of my students. And, um, and I look at this, um, and it's free. There's no cost to this. This is a free website. Uh, there's, uh, I do have the book information up there, and, you know, there's, there's going to be some plugs for the book and the audio book, obviously. Um, but I don't have teaching aids or anything like that. Down the road, I am considering having a premium content part to the website where maybe you could pay a small monthly fee and get premium uh, instruction, possibly throw in some online instruction with that, uh, which would be uh, a, a part of that. That is something in the future I would like to have as well as the online component, because I think that, um, you know, if students in different parts of the country uh, or different parts of the world, um, you know, it's nice to be able to, um, to, to start reaching out and, and teaching other people as well and, and developing new relationships. I think there's a, I think online instruction uh, is something that is, is, uh, is, is uh, beneficial. I think that obviously being there in person and with the teacher is better, but um, I think that that would be a, a way, you know, something I would like to add to the, to the website as well. Yeah. And I think the online presence um, and, and, um, it is certainly a great starting point. Obviously, if the person is in close proximity to where you are, it's ideal to have them face-to-face uh, -to, -face to be able to, uh, uh, to meet who they're you know, working with and on both sides. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, as you pointed out earlier, technology has is, is, uh, been fast approaching over the last few decades, and particularly over the last five to ten years. It's really ramped up now with the onslaught uh, on slot of uh, AI or artificial intelligence. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can be done now. And I think coaches and teach professionals, particularly uh, in golf, are learning to adapt to that and take advantage of it. So yeah, that's definitely something that we always have to be on the lookout. Um, I want to share, uh, have you share something that was quite interesting. Obviously, he was a guest uh, not too long ago, uh, thanks to you, of course. Uh, but you um, got a chance to do some training with a, a friend of yours and a uh, well-known uh, media personality, Craig Can, who, of course, most people would remember him from the Golf Channel. Uh, he now has his own advisory group and does a lot of uh, individual and corporate training. You had a chance to work with Craig 
not too long ago. In fact, when you were down in Florida, as John uh, Hughes mentioned earlier, uh, you got a chance to uh, to meet up with Craig and and uh, not just catch up, but actually spend a few days uh, or a little bit of time with them. Tell us about that experience and what were some of the things that you guys uh, talked about and worked on. Well, it was just a great experience. Um, it was um, I, I went there for several reasons. Number one is I'm trying to de- build a, a brand, a teaching brand, and and I wanted his advice. I wanted his help. Um, you know, I'm I'm the first to admit that I have I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. I love the marketing part, but I wanted to know you know I wanted to know concrete things that I could do to help m- make my brand better, and he was able to help me a lot with that. We also worked on my public speaking. Um, and I learned a lot of hard, uh, difficult things about my public speaking. I've always considered myself to be someone that can get up in front of people and, and speak. But um, he put it was it was a very uh, difficult process to go through uh, because I was having to do public speaking in front of him and my fiance, who happened to be there as well. Um, and it was I wasn't prepared for the you know it wasn't like I went in there with a prepared speech. I was having to, he would throw things at me and give me things to do, and, and it was really a great training. It was something uh, very much like you would take in a public speaking class, but it was much better than that. Um, you know, it just his ability to, to find what, is, what it is that you do well, whoever uh, goes to see him, and then he wants you to be able to tell your story and stand out. You know, stand out and say, why would people pay attention to you? You know, why do people want to listen to you? What is it about you that they want to hear? And so then you have to really start doing some introspective thinking. It's not boasting. It's not getting up there and saying I'm the best teacher that's ever taught the game. That's not what it's about. It's about what it is that you're trying to sell, what it is that you're trying to convey, the message you're going to try to convey. And I know my lane. I know the things that I want to – I know that – Presenting golf is something that I feel that I'm good at, and I want to bring the Christian element as well. And so I want to hone in on the churches. I want to hone in on Bible studies. I want to hone in on uh, youth groups, on groups that are uh, fundraisers for, um, you know, any kind of community uh, in development or anything that's going on along those lines. I want to be front and center because golf instruction is a great way, and golf, the game of golf, is a great way to raise money in the community. It's a great way to raise money for churches or, or organizations. That, you know, they're always having scrambles. They're always having golf events. It's a fun way to, to, to bring, uh, you know, revenue to that organization. Well, most of those organizations want to have a public speaker. They want to have some, you know, they want to have someone kind of be a keynote uh, speaker for the event, you know, the, the award ceremony, whatever it is. I'm not going to try to be a, uh, uh, MC at a at an event, but I do want to be able to stand up in front of people that want to hear about the game of golf, want to hear about Christianity, want to hear about uh, trying to do things in this world that are going to is going to make this world a better place, and try to motivate and inspire people. That's the lane that that I'm trying to to fill. And so Craig has a a, a great way of guiding and leading. And um, I just learned so much from it. It was a great opportunity. And I would highly recommend if anyone is looking to um, build their brand, if they're looking to better themselves, that they reach out to Can Advisory um, because it's uh, made a huge difference in my life. I'm, I'm reading his book right now um, that he gave me. And, um, and I definitely um, just th- think the world of him and, and owe so much to, 
what I'm doing right now. He's the one that actually came up with DeckerGolf.com. Um, he, he actually gave me that information uh, previously because um, one thing about my name that's frustrating is I spell my name J-O-N. If I say John Decker, no one ever spells my first name correctly. So going with DeckerGolf.com, <laughs> it's, a, it's a no-brainer, um, and it makes it things easy. When you're speaking with people, you don't have to spell out your first name. And uh, so that's always uh, something that, um, you know, I'll give him credit for that as well. Yeah, and, and just to, to touch on something that you had said that obviously he has said, um, what I really liked and was impressed about, and, and as I mentioned a, a few moments ago, um, you know, I had the pleasure of having him on the show uh, a little while ago, an interview, and have him talk about his business. But he really does emphasize about you telling your story. Um, you know, too often we see in, in any business, but even in the golf business where and, and, you know, flattery is certainly complimentary to another individual, but at the same time, you have to find your way, you have to find your niche. And if you're just sort of copying uh, and doing what everybody else does, then really there's no reason for somebody to come to you. So the fact that he helps you identify what your brand is and then help you prepare yourself to relay that story uh, to, to an audience um, is, is really um, I think very unique because too often we see, you know, teachings and things try to pattern off of somebody else, and uh, that's obviously really not what he tries to do. He advises people to really bring sort of their best foot forward and capitalize on that. And I think, um, you know, working with him, obviously, I know you knew him before, but uh, has obviously shed some new insight and is going to help you with uh, with Defer, uh, Decker Golf moving forward. Um, and you talked about building a brand and, and obviously refining videos. You've done, as you mentioned, over 300 videos over the last uh, few years. Um, some you've done recently here for Golf Tips Magazine, uh, but you've done some of your old uh, videos as well, which you're now starting to incorporate in your site. Um, what, When you do your videos, what's first and foremost the message that you want to convey to the person on the other side? Well, I think the most important thing that you can do in an instructional golf video is you, you have to have one point, and you have to hit that point, and you, you can't go more. If you try to teach the whole golf swing in a video, you're going to lose people really fast. So um, what I'm a big believer in, and, and I know how uh, the studies you know, basically will say that People, you know, after about two minutes, you, you two or three. Once you get past two and a half minutes or so, you people are they're ready to go to the next video. They're ready to go to something new. So I'm a big believer. My videos, if you look at my videos, they're about a minute in length. Uh, they're not real long. And so I, but I try to hit a point that's very important. And I also feel like I have the ability, having done this for 25 years plus, is I have the ability to say the same thing a lot of different ways. And so what I say to you might make uh, a lot of sense, but then I could say some, that same thing to the next person who has the same problem that you might have, and they look at me like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I have to then figure out, well, what is it that, that clicks with them, and then I have to go that way. So by, by, by doing, like, for example, the takeaway, I can talk about there's a lot of drills I have for the takeaway, and, and I can explain it different ways. I can get into the science of the golf swing, or I can keep it real simple and talk about the feel of the golf swing. 
So to me, I like to do those in those one-minute uh, uh, videos. I like it to be something where they come away with one thing and no more than that. Now, I do want to get into more expanded videos because I do feel like looking back, I mean, like all of us, I'm sure, Ted, if you went back and listened to your mm -hmm. first podcast versus now, you'd say, yep. wow, I'm a lot better <laughs> now than I used to be. Well, I look back at my early, <laughs> early videos and I go, wow, I was really rushing there. And I was really, you know, the wind, I didn't have the right mic and all these things. So I'm, I'm evolving um, just like, um, like the golfers out there try to evolve and to get better. And so I'm going to start doing some little, a little bit longer, but not too long. So I'm hitting more of that two to three minute uh, window and try to, uh, try to keep, try to give maybe a little bit more behind the message and not just head them with just one message and that's it. But, um, you know, that, that, that I believe is, is what, um, I like most about my videos is for the millennial out there who wants the quick, like, I want to watch this and then I want to go try it on the range. Uh, they don't have to sit there and listen to a five minute, uh, explanation and, and talk about all kinds of things that I can get right to the point and, and hopefully they'll be able to apply it on the driving range. Yeah, and that's that's definitely uh, important. I mean, you know, the the message that you get out there um, has to be quick and to the point. Um, in other words, you have to sort of set the hook, if you will, um, to get the person interested. And then you have to be able to deliver. And that's something I think you've done very well with a lot of your videos over the years. And as you pointed out, you know, obviously earlier videos, you're you're kind of getting your feet wet, but then over time you develop a, a certain skill set and, and a way of, of uh, putting things together, and you in, improve. And, you know, I know, uh, as, you, as you said, you know, when I listen to, uh, which I haven't for a long time, but when I listen to my very first podcast, I, I think my intro music was ACDC and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And it was... Uh, uh, you know, it seemed a little fun at the time, but not really probably appropriate for, uh, you know, for the, the genre of show that I was putting together. But, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, now, you also, as we talked about, uh, you know, uh, earlier on when I mentioned um, your involvement with Golf Tips magazine, um, not only are you doing uh, videos, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, you've been putting together some instructional articles, uh, and you did, when you were down in Florida, uh, you did a few articles uh, for upcoming issues. In fact, one just went out uh, in our um, uh, May-June issue, uh, so you definitely want to check that out. Uh, go to newsstands. It's available uh, here in just a few days at newsstands, or if you're a subscriber, you've already got your copy, and then we're going to put some in uh, upcoming issues as well. Um, but you also contribute... Uh, the Fairways to Heaven. Uh, give us an idea. I mean, I'm familiar with it, obviously, because we've talked many times about it, but give us, uh, the listeners, an idea of really what the articles are about and what you're trying to do um, with that particular uh, brand of article, The Fairways to Heaven. Well, for, Ted, first of all, before I even mention Fairways to Heaven, I have to, to thank you because you have given me the opportunity to uh, be a, uh, you know, in, uh, to to be in, uh, on the staff, to to be um, to be a senior editor, to be able to write a Christian um, golf uh, article uh, using scripture. And I don't know of any, I don't know of any um, mainstream uh, golf publication that would do that. And and for you to allow me to do that. Um, is something that I'll never forget, and um, and I think it's something that this world needs. I think 
the, you know, I'm not trying to beat people over the head with the Bible when, when I write these articles. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take Scripture, and I'm trying to take a, a golf uh, experience from my past, whether it be teaching or playing, and I'm trying to take life itself and intertwine the three of them in a way that's going to be uplifting. If, uh, if you're not a Christian, that's fine. I, I uh, still hope that you will uh, read the articles just for the um, inspiration, hopefully, that they bring. Uh, maybe there's a funny story in there. Um, but uh, um, I think that, that this world needs this. I think that, um, you know, there's, um, there's enough going on in the world to where it's nice to be able to get something that's uplifting and something that you can feel um, feel good about when you're done done reading. So I hope that the, the the readers out there, and I've gotten a lot of really nice emails from people that I don't know from all over the United States, and it's been really um, it's been really great. And and you know we knew when we took this on um, the fairways mm-hmm. to heaven. And I have to also give credit to uh, Dr. Angelica Napolitano. Because Fairways to Heaven was not my idea; it was hers. She actually had mm-hmm. that um, that that name, and she said it to me one time. Uh, we became good friends. We actually tried to do a podcast together, and um, we were talking one time. And she said, "You know, uh, I want to." She said something about Fairways to Heaven, she, and I said, "I love that." I said, "I love that." I said, "That is." exactly what I would want to call, uh, uh, you know, my next book, or I would want to have it being a, a feature. It just hit me, and, and, um, and I asked her if it would be okay for me to use that uh, for this feature, and she said yes. And so I give her a lot of credit because there's a lot of people, you know, it was her idea, and there's a lot of people in this mm-hmm. world who might, might shy away from that and say no. So I really want to give her a lot of credit for I love her for letting me do that, and that just was just such a great thing. And so I love the name Fairways to Heaven, um, but I try to start every uh, every uh, article out with Scripture, tell a life story, and tell a golf story, and uh, intertwine them all. Yeah, and I think it's 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 interesting because really, like you said, it's not you're not really trying to drive a specific message home, or it's not necessarily a um, purely uh, just a biblical article. I mean, obviously, again, you're including scripture in that, and you're entwining uh, the various components to it. Um, so I really challenge the, the listeners here, and obviously uh, those that are interested in the magazine, uh, to pick up a copy if you're not currently subscribing, but uh, grab a copy. It's available at, at uh, any Barnes & Noble, and uh, Books A Million are, are two of the large chains that carry it, but most of your local bookstores uh, will uh, um, that carry magazines, uh, certainly most of them will have it as well. Um, but to challenge you to really read these articles because they're very, very well written. Uh, kudos, kudos to you, John, for that. Um, but there's really a lot more to them than just the biblical aspect to it. So uh, you've done a very good job, and it's, it's been an interesting, and, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, this was something, um, and you and I have had this discussion, it was a little bit uh, nerve-wracking a little bit earlier on because we weren't sure how it was going to be received because it's not something that's commonly put in, uh, certainly not in the golfing world. And really, to be quite honest, uh, in a lot of um, uh, sports magazines and even mainstream magazines, uh, you're not seeing a lot of that uh, type of content being put forth um, for for whatever reason. That's a whole different topic. But um, so you know, it's really a challenge uh, for me to say, do we want to do that? 
and uh, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, certainly you're always going to get a few naysayers, but for the most part, I would say probably 99% of the people that have uh, come across the magazine and read those articles uh, obviously enjoy them and, and are, are glad that it's part of the magazine. So I think we've, we've got something here. Um, and I know that you're going to uh, expand on that as time goes on as well, um, not just within the magazine, but obviously um, yourself, you're putting the articles I know up on DeckerGolf.com uh, as they're published. So um, you're continuing forward. And then it's also really helping, as you said, with your public speaking as well. This is something that you're uh, using to sort of gravitate into more uh, public speaking through churches and, and other uh, you know, religious organizations and so forth, uh, correct? That is correct. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, when, when I about, I, I think it was about maybe 10 years ago, I mean, I'd kind of reached a point where I'd had a lot of burnout with teaching golf. I mean, that's all I was doing. I was just teaching golf every single day, whether it be in Florida or whether it be in Ohio. And I finally got to the point where, like, is this my only purpose in life is to, to teach golf? I love teaching, and I love the game, but I kept thinking there has to be more. By going and writing this book and taking on and, and you know, rededicating my faith and rededicating my life in my Christian walk um, has, has really opened up the doors to what I feel like my true purpose in this life is. And, and I have two things that I want to do with every Fairways to Heaven and with the book, and I have, an, you know, another book that, that I'm hopefully going to be writing here soon. Um, and I want to do two things with that. I want to grow the game of golf, and I want to grow Christianity. And those two things, uh, golf has been very good to me. It, I, everything that I have done in my career, I think of just my personal life and just the game and playing I owe so much to the game. It is, uh, it is up to every golf professional uh, out there to grow the game, and they all, I mean, the, the majority of them do, uh, and there's a lot of great golf professionals out there. But I also have even a higher calling, and that's to grow Christianity, and that's to, uh, you know, coming up on Easter uh, this weekend and uh, to all the listeners mm -hmm. out there that, uh, that celebrate Passover uh, Saturday and and Easter on Sunday. Uh, I wish you a happy weekend, and and uh, I hope everyone has a has a great great time and and with their family and friends. And and so that to me, that's where the, the where I look at the purpose of this and and say this is what the lane uh, that 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 uh, God created for me. And um, I, honestly, at first it was a little nerve wracking. It was scary. I I felt like I did lose some relationships because of it. But um, I know that now I feel the confidence and I feel like God is leading me and um, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, and and um, I'm looking forward to see where, where he takes me next. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, there's always going to be, you know, a situation in our lives. It doesn't matter what we do. Um, where you're going to have naysayers. I look at and, you know, I draw a lot of inspiration from uh, somebody like Tim Tebow, for instance, who, um, you know, experienced a, a great amount of success in football, was a, a very strong collegiate player and went on uh, to play professional for, for a period of time and um, was obviously went through a lot of public criticism, still does, uh, for his beliefs, and um, he stood with it. 
and just decided that there were, he had a higher calling and and has chosen to uh, you know to fulfill that. And I, I give him a lot of credit. And he was really, um, and I don't mean from a personal standpoint because obviously I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, and hopefully at one point I will. But um, just from his story and his journey uh, was really the turning point for me to say, you know what, I think we need to move forward uh, with this uh, component in the magazine because I thought, you know what, you can't, you can't live your life worrying about what everybody else is going to think. And, you know, if, if it's going to offend some, you know, uh, we can put just about anything in the magazine and somebody may may or may not be offended. So you can't live your life like that. And I think it's been a good addition to the magazine. It's been very well received, much better than probably what either one of us anticipated, um, given, again, the current uh, times. Um, but, uh, I, you know, we'll keep moving forward with it and keep expanding on it and hopefully uh, – um, you know, we'll uh, find other ways of, of uh, you know, working it through. Um, I want to very quickly talk about, um, you mentioned a little bit about videos. Um, I know you're doing some videos now, but you know, you're going to continue to do some for Golf Tip. Uh, what are some of the plans uh, or thoughts that you had? And you, if you want to share a few of them now, or we can save that for another sure. time. Um, yeah. mo- moving forward with, uh, with Golf Tips, I know you want to do, uh, continue to do some other videos for that platform as well. Yes, I, you know, one of the, the video series that I would love to do is um, I, I would really love to have a video series that focuses on junior golf um, where um, I can ha- film some of my juniors that I work with doing the drills and the things that we work on uh, so that, the, you know, because I do want to grow the game of golf. And I think a lot of times, uh, you know, kids like watching other kids do things and, and uh, to see them do drills. And these kids are, are all, you know, uh, anywhere from maybe seventh grade to, uh, you know, maybe juniors or seniors in high school. So, but uh, that's something that I would, I would like to do a series on that. Um, you know, that's something that um, I think that's missing in, in a lot of the mm-hmm. golf publications. I don't feel like that they, they spend enough time focusing on junior golf. So that would be a series that I, that I would like to do with the videos. Um, I would like to get into some some ver- vi- some cause and effect videos of you know uh, of the common shots that people struggle with, and that's the you know the shanks and the tops and the and the, all the you know the bad shots, the hitting a pitch shot off tight lies. Um, you know those those videos I think are always going to be popular. But but I would also like to get uh, more into. Um, some of the golf fitness, and I've got some ideas about some golf fitness videos that I'm going to be doing. I would like to do this winter. I'm one of my goals. I keep saying this, but I'm going to do it. Is I want to get TPI certified, and I want to do. Um, I want to have that part of my website really rock solid, because um, I think that that is most important. There is not a golfer. There's not a listener out there who can't get stronger or can't get more. Uh, flexible um, because that is the, the it's one of those two components that typically will will is holding you back into getting those you know longer drives or uh, being able to do whatever it is you're working on with your teachers um, uh, so much of the time it's fitness related and so um, I think that 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 is something that I would like to really do in the video series, and I think uh, I want to start incorporating that some in my instructional articles for the magazine as well, because I think that's a, that would be beneficial as well. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, 
especially as we, you know, we, we get older, I think we um, neglect that aspect um, of, of our fitness, uh, physical fitness, excuse me. And, you know, a lot of times just going to the gym is not necessarily enough or not necessarily conducive to helping your golf game. There's specific exercises and, and drills, uh, if, if, you know, if need be, that can help you uh, improve uh, things like your core or stretching and so forth that are more golf-specific. They're going to help you with your game as opposed to just going and, you know, doing a few dumbbell curls or what have you. So there's a lot of good things, and I think that's a great idea, and I think also the junior golf um, is something that we want to do because the truth be known, um, you know, we want to pat. This is a game uh, that we want to pass on to the to the next generations, um, and we're starting to, you know, one of the, um, I guess, for lack of better words, positives that have come out of this recent COVID uh, um, dilemma that we've been faced with here over the last couple of years is that golf has really seen not only a resurgence of of golfers that have played for years that you know came back out in, in order to uh, find other avenues of, of entertainment or or just to get out of the house for a while but also a new generation of people that never picked up the game or uh, never played or, or even thought about playing before um, in, in a roundabout way were kind of forced uh, to do so and so it's been very very good for golf uh, we're all seeing the benefits of it and I think it, you know we we owe it to them uh, to find ways of not just teaching them and showing them how to play and enjoy the game, but how to have fun in general and how to uh, really get the most, not only of your golf game, but take some of those lessons that you might learn out in the golf course or on the practice tee can also be applicable in life and vice versa. So I think there's a lot of synergy there, for lack of better words, uh, to help both in life and in golf. And I think this new generation is really about having fun. They want to make it uh, more of an entertainment as opposed to a typical country club experience, not that we don't want to include that as well. So I think there's lots of room for flexibility, and I think we have uh, we can do a lot of things with the magazine moving forward. And I'm always uh, happy to have you, as, as I am with uh, many of the others, uh, part of the magazine and, and your contributions uh, as, as we move forward. But... Um, John, I'm going to give you a few minutes break here just because I know that uh, you were on for the, for the hour before, and I don't want Carla to be, uh, to be upset at me for keeping you busy too long. But um, um, one last thing I'm going to get, in, and, you know, if you want to just sort of give a sneak peek, we don't want to give them too much information, but you, you sort of I – I didn't want to bring it up because I wasn't sure if you were ready to talk about it at all, but uh, you mentioned about maybe uh, you're, you're going to uh, work on another book. Uh, give us a sneak peek at what, uh, what that's going to be about. Well, it's going to be um, yes. I, I am. I have made up my mind that I'm. I'm going to write another book, and it's going to be called. It's going to be called Fairways to Heaven, One Shot at a Time. And it's basically originally I thought about uh, doing a devotional, but um, you know, once I started doing the Fairways to Heaven articles, I started thinking to myself, you know, this. If I were to take these articles and then intertwine some other stories uh, with them. Um, I've got the basically a, a, a book. It's right there, and the idea in the one shot at a, one shot at a time is is basically in the game of life and in the game of golf, you have to approach them one shot at a time. So that's all of the lessons from the book would be in the essence of dealing with daily, you know, what, taking each day one day at a time, and on the golf course taking every shot one at a time. So that would be. Uh, the nuts and bolts of what I want to do with the book. So I'm, I'm real excited about it. Um, and, um, and I also 
am going to have uh, you. I mean, you've already agreed to it, so I'm, uh, it's now official. <laughs> but you're going to write the forward for the book, and I, I couldn't think of anybody that would do a better job because uh, you you are the one that has have given me the opportunity to write for the magazine, and um, uh, you know I I feel like the magazine has just been such a blessing in my life, um, and I know that it's been a blessing in your life. And I think that it's going to continue to grow. And I pray for that magazine every day and, and so so thankful to have to be a part of it. So I wanted you to write the forward for it. So um, it, I, I really feel like, uh, you know, it'll probably be a year, year and a half before it'll be I would, I would have it out. But, but I've gotten a lot of it written so far, so I'm real excited. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to it as well, and I want to thank you for – uh, thinking of me, and I'm very honored and, and feel privileged to be able to write the forward uh, for this book, and I think it's a great idea, and um, I'm, I'm very happy to be a part of it, and I'm glad that you're part of the magazine as well. And I'll try to do my best not to uh, take a year, year and a half to write the forward, so you'll have it in plenty of time, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll put some, uh, some good words together for you, and, and hopefully uh, uh, things will work well. But I think it's a great idea, and I think we, we need more of that uh, in this world to be able to, to work together and collaborate. And I think that's really part of the journey of life is, uh, and, and what we're asked to do here is that to, to really not only love one another, but obviously uh, to be able to work and, and create together. And I think, uh, I think we can do some, some great things, as I said, moving forward. But, uh, John, congratulations on the, the website. Congratulations on the audio book and, uh, and all of the, the work that you've done, not only for the magazine, but you're doing with all of your students as well. And, and uh, helping to make this uh, world a little better place uh, for a lot of people out there. And I know uh, you've got some, some other exciting things happening in your life. Uh, you're engaged now, uh, as, as you've mentioned to me, and, and Carla, of course, is your uh, fiancé, and I know you're excited about that and, and a lot of other personal things, which we won't air out on the show here, but uh, that you've shared with me as well, and I'm very excited for both of you and, and uh, look forward to, uh, to learning more about that uh, as you and I chat uh, off air sometime. But um, thank you for joining me uh, tonight on the show as my special guest and uh, also for uh, for joining John H. on Coach's Corner earlier for doing both of you guys doing a great job. I appreciate it always. And uh, you know you's, you always have a place here on Golf Talk Live. Well, thank you very much, Ted. It was a pleasure being with you and to all the listeners out there. Happy Easter and happy Passover and uh, have a safe and happy holiday, and hopefully you're, you'll uh, have a great golfing year this year. Well said. And just to let the folks know one more time, if they go to De- DeckerGolf.com, uh, you can not only see all of his uh, or many of the instructional videos that he's put up there, but you can also uh, find out more about his uh, first book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. Uh, both the print version you can order directly through the site and as well uh, you can also, there's a link there for the audio book, and uh, we'll keep an eye out for any uh, new information on there as well, but go to DeckerGolf.com uh, to get uh, caught up on uh, all of the things that we talked about here tonight. But, John, thank you as always, and happy Easter to you and Carla, and I look forward to you joining me again uh, on a future show, and uh, uh, we'll talk again real soon about uh, some of the upcoming articles. Thank you, Ted. All right, have a great night, and happy Easter. All right, good night. All right, bye-bye. All right, John Decker, uh, my very special guest. Go to DeckerGolf.com. 
his contact information is there as well, and you can see some great videos and also get more information on uh, both the hard copy book and the audio book uh, as well and as uh, some other information, the articles, the Fairways to Heaven articles that we talked about tonight. Uh, he's been posting them up there as well once they become published. So you can, uh, if you didn't see them in the magazine, you can certainly read them there. All right, I want to thank, uh, again, both the guys uh, for doing a great job on Coach's Corner, and I look forward to seeing you guys next Thursday here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and happy Easter. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.